morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Business Book Show. Today, it is my sincere pleasure to have as our guest, Minion Fogarty. And this amazing woman has helped God only knows how many people uh, fall in love with writing again. She has made an entire business, an entire lifestyle out of not just not just being a, a, a grammar, not just correcting grammar, um, but of helping people get more comfortable with the, the nuances that, that is grammar. I think a lot of us come from the, the background where our English teacher, our professors, you know, made us feel like things were black and white and that, uh, you know, so many of us don't, don't know all the rules of grammar. And so we feel like um, that we're all constantly, you know, writing and people are constantly criticizing us. One of the things that I love about her approach is helping you realize that there's a lot of, of gray. There's a lot of, of usage. Things change over time. I mean, she is, and I hope that this isn't really going, uh, you know, overboard, but she she really is like the strunk and, and, and white of uh of our generation. She is oh, she's she's amazing. So a little bit of gushing there. But uh on a more um on a more objective uh level, she is the author of uh, a number of, of books, including in fact I've got in my hands right here uh, Grammar Girl presents the ultimate guide uh, for students. Uh, her one of her first books, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing, was a New York Times bestseller. Um, she's recently her more recent book is the Grammar Devotional, Daily Tips for Successful Writing, and then she has a number of other um, other books and, and resources that you can find on on Amazon. But what she is known for is her podcast. She does an amazing podcast where she uh, Believe it or not, it's one of the most popular podcasts in in the world, and it is on grammar. It's on how you know to use words. It's on what makes sense and then what doesn't. And she does it in such a way that it makes it fun. You get off of there feeling like you want to go right. You, you feel inspired, not just uh, okay. Well, I learned something else I've been doing wrong all this time. She does a beautiful job of helping us appreciate language. I guess that's really the best way to put it. All of that to say, Minion, excuse me, I keep on saying Minion because my son is in love with Minions. Minion, thank you for uh, joining us today. Well, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. If this were a video podcast, people could see that I'm blushing. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Then my job is done. My job is done here. Um. So listen, you know more, uh, you've probably forgotten more than I will ever learn about the the, the, the nitty-gritty, how to put words together, how to actually write, how to do all of this. And you've been helping people um, online and in the real world for years. So can I just give the floor over to you and you talk to us about what it's like to, to write? Sure. Well, you know, it's funny that you say I've probably forgotten more than you know, because one thing I always start by telling people is that I have to look things up every day, too. There are just so many rules to remember the nitpicky little details, but I don't think anyone could remember all of them to hold that all in your brain. Um, you know, some of my favorite reference books 
know, Garner's Modern English Usage, for example, it's 900 pages long. You know, nobody can remember <laughs> all of that. So it's really important to have, just have good references, know where to look up things. And, you know, if you don't know, go look it up or rewrite your sentence to write around the problem, which is what I often did before I became Grammar Girl. <laughs> I was a, a writer and editor, and I would just say, I don't know how to phrase this, or I don't know what the rule is. So I would rewrite my sentence, you know, now now that I'm providing yeah, advice to people that's and my answering go-to. questions, <laughs> I actually have to go find the answer. So, uh, and it's always fascinating. I mean, I the reason I still love doing the Grammar Girl podcast after 10 years is, you know, probably maybe not every week, but every other week when I do my show, I come across something that that I find fascinating that I didn't know. Or, you know, when we were talking before the show, you mentioned, um, you know, the difference between critique and criticize that I did. I think I did the difference between those last week in, in my show. And, and, you know, I just, I had no idea there was such an interesting history and, you know, they were contentious in the past and, you know, despite the, you know, there's the the recent, you know, you can think of, well, the differences when you criticize something, it's always negative, but when you critique something, you could be providing more of a broad overview of the good and bad points. But, um, you know, there, there's been an ongoing debate in the usage world about whether one can be used as a verb or a noun. And, um, you know, it's, it's always fascinating to go back and look at words people thought were, you know, horrifying or outrageous you know, back in the 50s or something like that. So I just, I just find language fascinating and that's what keeps me doing it. Well, you know, the, the, your love and fascination of, of language absolutely comes through in the, in the, in the podcast, uh, in your books, um, and it's it is refreshing to know that even after uh, ten years of, of, of doing a a podcast and being the grammar girl, that uh, you're still looking up things uh, every day and, and learning something fascinating every week or every other week. For those of us who love language, that is uh, that's hopeful to know that you never get to the the end of it. That there's always something else to to learn. Yeah, there's always something. Just the other morning. My husband said he felt perky, and I was drinking coffee, and I thought, I wonder if perky is related to perking coffee. You know, and so I, I, you know, because coffee makes you feel perky, and you perk coffee. So I, I went and looked it up, and actually, they aren't related. So I was disappointed, but you know, there, there's really? always something to look up. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely thought they would be related, but uh, perky comes from, I think it comes from birds preening their feathers back in the 1600s or something like that. But I was so disappointed they weren't related. <laughs> I love finding um, yeah, sayings that, that we take for for granted, uh, especially in the oddest places. So two two books, one um, I think that, that really blew my mind about how many different um, things that we that we take for for granted um and how we say things or even in some of our uh, uh little kind of cultural idiosyncrasies here in the in the United States traces back to the 1893 Chicago World's Fair and I had no idea of any of it until I read Devil in the White City which is absolutely one of my favorite um narrative nonfiction books but you know, just in talking about you know the parallel between building the Chicago World's Fair and the the serial killer that was operating in Chicago at the time, 
um, I got to learn about about language. I love whenever authors can do that, can slip in, you know, a little bit of, of learning so that you, you learn even while you're being entertained, which I, which is probably certainly one of the nicest ways to learn, if not the easiest. Yes. I've heard other people recommend that book. It's definitely on my to-be-read pile. I, I have it, but I haven't read it yet. And now you're making me want to get to that, <laughs> get to that book. It really is. A, it's really a, a great book. Um, but coming back to uh, to, to us writing our, our own books, tell us about, I guess one of the things that I see whenever I'm um, working with authors or, or talking to, to authors who or people who want to become authors and writers, they get so... They're so fearful. They're almost to the point of being paralyzed uh, about whenever they sit down to to write, not knowing. Um, you know, they feel like that every almost every other word they're going to have to look up to make sure that they're using the the word correctly. And they they um, they overthink it, I think, and they get uh, they stop themselves before they even start. There are plenty of of great books that have probably never made it out of somebody's head because the person thought that they needed to have a, you know, a master's in, in fine arts or, or, you know, be an English teacher before they were worthy enough or before they knew enough to write a book. So for those kinds of people, what would you say? Right. Well, the most important thing is to realize your first draft is just a first draft. And not only does it not have to be perfect, it's never going to be perfect. It can't be perfect. So don't feel like, you know, you're failing if it's not. And don't let that that stress over feeling like it has to be perfect stop you. It's just a draft. And its only purpose is to get your ideas out there in a way that then lets you refine them. So, and, and I know it can be really... Um, intimidating to sit down in front of just a blank screen, that blank white screen that you suddenly feel like you have to fill up with genius. Um, So uh, a couple of important things uh, that can help with that are, uh, number one, you don't have to start at the beginning. If you have, you know, an idea that, you know, an important point or an idea or if you're writing fiction, a scene that's in the middle of your book, go ahead and write it down. You don't have to start with the introduction, the forward, chapter one, and go to chapter two. You can write out of order, and that's often a good way to get over um, your anxiety about writing And because, you know, you don't feel like you're crafting from the beginning. This is just an idea that you want to capture for later. So that's one way to get over the stress. And number two, I, when I was writing the Grammar Devotional, which was it's sort of like a tip-a-day calendar in a book form, so it's 365 daily tips, and I started with a spreadsheet, and I wrote down, you know, the ideas for each day, and, and it just became cumbersome and overwhelming, and what I did is I switched to Post-it notes, and I took a huge wall in my house. I don't have a lot of huge walls in my house, so it was in my, my hallway, so in the hallway, I would write ideas on post-it notes and then I would put them up on the wall. And then once I had, you know, maybe a hundred of the 365, I just started moving them around, physically moving them around in, in ways that made more sense than how I had originally arranged them. 
you know, so once I had so many, I knew that, you know, uh, you know, word of, you know, just a general interesting word. We'd do all those on Mondays and maybe punctuation would be Wednesdays. And, you know, then I would see, oh, this tip relates to that tip. So I'd move them closer together and just being able to physically see them all at the same time in real live space in my house (laughs) made it a lot easier to conceptualize the big picture of the book. And so, and and I know I've heard other authors say they do the same thing. Sometimes they'll print, you know, fiction authors will print out scenes and, and move them around on a table and things like that. Now there are, there's software that lets you do that. Um, Scrivener is um, a book writing software Mm -hmm. that has virtual post-it notes. And I've tried to use that, but it just doesn't, the, the physical post-its work better for me yeah. than, than virtual post-its. <laughs> but I find, you know, getting out into on paper and physical space often often can help to overcome that, that blank page anxiety on your computer. I love that image of, of a wall in your house being filled with uh, with post-it notes that you just keep moving around and unstick and re-stick o- over here. I guess you had to get the expensive uh, kind that, uh, you know, where the, the – actually held on over age. Uh, sometimes I'll get the, uh, the El Cheapos that, uh, you I know, after about, after about two or three sticks, they're, they're done. And when the book came out, I was actually really sad when I had to take all the post-its down eventually. I had come to, I grew fond of them. <laughs> My family, not so much. <laughs> That is funny. I, I've I've heard. Uh, I'm I'm with you. You know, I, I like um I like you know printing it printing the, them out. I like um Dan Pointer calls it the pilot method where he'll pile you know st- or he did the the late Dan Pointer would pile um you know ideas together. Um I like to use the uh, the the mental image of, of buckets right that I have these buckets and we put stuff in these different buckets and then those buckets eventually become a a chapter. But posted notes on the wall that is a new one. Right. It's just, you know, really simple. And then, you know, okay, so then you have your first draft and maybe it's not even completely done, but at some point you, you can go back and, and start editing it, cleaning up the language, writing it, looking, you know, looking things up you aren't sure about or rewriting sentences. You could um, join a writing group, you know, find a writing group in your area and, and have, you know, people who are willing to read the draft for you and give you feedback about, you know, Usually the feedback is more useful about whether things are clear or make sense or inspiring. But, you know, if you have a, a person like me in your writing group, you might also get some free copy editing. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you know, or, you know, all the way to, you know, hiring an editor in the end to clean it up so that you're just really confident that it's, that it's absolutely as perfect as it can be and as professional before you publish it. So, you know, you don't have to know everything yourself. You know, that's why... People hire, you know, artists to do the cover for their book. And it's the same with, you know, if you want to, you can hire a, an editor to clean up your your text, you know, or you can go out on your own. But, you know, it just depends on, on you know, how, how you feel about it, how perfect it needs to be. But, you know, if you if you feel like it needs to be perfect and that's completely stressing your, you out, you know, there, there are people you can hire to help with that part of it, just like you might with cover design. So that's another thing to, to keep in mind if you're feeling anxious. Let's let's talk about a couple of of, of quick and, and dirty tips 
for um, for people, especially uh, you know in the in the initial stages where they're they're trying to get their their ideas down, um, and they don't want to, um, or or they maybe they they know you know they're they're they have accepted and embraced the fact that they can come back and edit it later, or that they can even uh, hire a, you know a professional to come in and, and edit it. So, but if they're just you know trying to to uh, you know to to write. Um, Let's talk about a couple of, of, of easy tips and, and, and tricks. The first one being um, the one you said you use, the one that I still is probably my number one uh, tool, is uh, to write around uh, a word. If you come against up against a, a phrase or something, then you're not quite sure. Um, so, you know, so kind of give us what what that looks like and and uh, and how you used it in, in the past. And then if you have any other uh, kind of, of really broad, uh, easy to use, quick and dirty tips like that to uh, to help people who are, you know, who are who are trying to to write without, you know, the Chicago manual of style. By the way, I'm still jealous that they sent you a galley copy of the next, uh, <laughs> of the next one. I know. I was so yeah. excited to get that. Um, uh, yeah, well, here's a yeah. Oh, go ahead. No. Go ahead. Okay. So here's an example of a, a question someone asked me this morning on the Grammar Girl Facebook page. I, it went something like this. So she had a sentence, this is one of the books that has or have inspired me over the years, right? So one of the, one of the plural noun, I always have to look up whether it should be then a singular or plural verb to go with it. I cannot remember that rule. So I'm, after we're done here, I'm going to go look it up and then answer her question. Excuse me. I'm going to go look it up and answer her question. And But you could just rewrite the sentence and say, this book has inspired me. You know, so instead of saying, this is one of the books that has or have, you could say just this book has inspired me. So that's you know really simple way to rewrite um, that sentence when you're not sure which verb to use, and basically no one knows which verb to use in a sentence like that. <laughs> so, um, you know when I, if, when I talk to other um, language experts, sometimes we'll say you know if if if, if you and I can't remember the rule, <laughs> like it probably doesn't matter which word they use because nobody knows. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, you know, and just a couple of other things that come up all the time, very common questions. So in American English, um, periods and commas go inside a closing quotation mark. So if you're ending a sentence with a quote, you put the period inside that closing quotation mark. They do it the opposite way in British English. So I think that's why people are often confused. They see it, you know, done different ways online. But you know, in evident American English... Yeah, British punctuation makes so much more sense to me. It just seems so much more logical and that it actually obeys the rules. Whereas with American punctuation, you know, the the if you have a a question mark or an exclamation point, it often goes inside the quotation marks. But if putting it inside the quotation marks, say if you were um, uh, referring to the title of a of a movie or, or something, if it goes if the question mark or the exclamation point would change the meaning of what's inside the exclamation the, the quotation marks then you put the mark outside that just, just right. uh, it's very confusing. Why, why, can't, 
why can't we just be British? Why can't we just be British? <laughs> right. And then um, another thing people ask about a lot is um, when you use a or an before a noun. So a lot of people, it, so it's the sound of the next word that determines whether you use a or an. So if you're writing about someone who has an MBA, even though MBA starts with a consonant, the letter M, you use an, an MBA, because it actually starts with an E sound. It starts with a vowel sound when you say it out loud. So a lot of people were right. taught, just look, is it a noun, is it a consonant or a vowel? And it's not whether it's a consonant or vowel letter, but it's whether it's the consonant or vowel sound. So that's um, another question I get all the time. Yeah. Um, you, you're talking time. about, you were talking about, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if somebody who really knows, uh, you know, doesn't even know, then maybe it doesn't matter. That reminds me of um, in, uh, in Strunk and White's Elements of, of Style, um, it, you know, it says uh, whenever Strunk was a professor, he used to, to shout at his students, if you don't know how to pronounce a word, say it loud. If you don't know how to pronounce a word, say it loud. <laughs> but right. It just, and what's so know, funny about you, that is people would say that's grammatically incorrect, but he should be saying, say it loudly. <laughs> so it's especially <laughs> funny because of that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I think that that um, I think that that sentiment kind of captures the heart of of language. So uh, you know, we have these we have all of these rules and these guidelines and all of these things to help aid communication, to help um, lessen the the chance of a miscommunication or a misinterpretation. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to communicate, right? So punctuation and the rules of grammar, they they help us communicate, but they're there to support us, not to dictate to, to us. So the most important thing That's is to make sure that we're sharing our ideas, we're sharing these words, we're sharing these things with the world. And then, you know, having them using the rules of grammar and punctuation to make them as, as clear as possible, to make sure that they're as legible, not legible, um, intelligible as, as they can be. It, that's the purpose of those tools, but they're tools. They're not the, they're not the, they're not the point. Right. They help you get your point across, but good storytelling and the the content of your message, whether it's inspiring, whether people find it useful, is definitely more important than having perfect writing. And I think, you know, the thing I always think about that just make the, that point so clearly is you look at some of the best sellers in the last 10 or 15 years, you know, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, Twilight, um, The Da Vinci Code. You know, you'll hear you know, people who are sort of snobby about writing you know, going on and on about how terribly those, how, how terrible those books are, how terribly they're written, how the writers can't write a, at all. It's just painful. But, you know, I picked up uh, The Da Vinci Code, and as I was reading through it, I was like, oh, this writing is so bad. But I couldn't put it down. I could not put that book down. And, you know, millions and millions of other people feel the same way. So those authors are doing something right. 
And it has to do with storytelling and human emotion. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we, you, you really need to look at what, what those kind of people are doing and why it works. And, you know, it, a book doesn't sell because it has perfect grammar and perfect punctuation. It sells because it has a, a message that resonates with people, something that people enjoy and that people find useful and compelling. And that, that's the most important part. And then, you know, getting the technical details right, you know, that sort of just makes you look more professional and in, insulates you against criticism. <laughs> Bad review. I'm going, you know? to, I'm going to quote you on that. A, a book uh, doesn't sell because of perfect grammar or per- perfect punctuation. I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> uh, you know, you're talking to people... Oh, go necessary ahead. but not essential, or I forget what that phrase is. Necessary but not sufficient. Uh, I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> you're talking about you know people criticizing uh, you know, Twilight and uh, and Fifty Shades of Grey. It makes me think of of the time I read about uh, someone was criticizing you know these these children's books, uh, you know, Goosebumps or uh, or maybe some of these other ones that. Uh, you know, they, they were so elementary that, uh, you know, there wasn't really, you know, a whole lot of challenge there or that they were so easy. And, and why couldn't, you know, why are these kids reading you know, those Goosebumps and, and Twilight whenever they could be reading, um, you know, Tom Sawyer and, and or, you know, some literary classics. And, I you know, I thought to myself, but you're it's the wrong comparison. You're saying, you know, why don't these kids, you know, do another try reading these these other classic books? But really, if these kids weren't reading you know, Twilight, they would be, you know, watching a watching a movie in, instead. So the fact that they're that they're reading Twilight instead of watching Twilight, um, I mean, that's the win. So maybe they they read Twilight. Maybe to... yeah. And, and yeah, instead no, I, of, I remember of, hearing. A... I remember hearing a story about a book signing where, you know, mothers were coming up and saying to the author, you know, thank you for getting my daughter to read, you know, so, so, you know, just finding things that kids like that they can read is the first step. And then, you know, you hope that they develop a habit of reading and, and move on to more challenging books or, you know, but, but just getting them reading and developing that habit is a really great first step. (laughs) Yeah. uh, That's the, the um yeah it makes me think of 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 my my dad he had a he had a particularly um mean first grade well maybe i shouldn't say first grade teacher because maybe somebody will look it up and figure out who it is <laughs> anyway so he had a he had a mean elementary school teacher that would uh she she'd whip the the kids she'd give you one one paddling for every spelling word you missed on your test and so my my dad just you know came to have this hatred is is too strong of of a word. My dad's too wonderful of a guy to really hate anything, but just this distaste for for you know reading and, and language, and he just he shied away from it ever since then, just because of those awful um, associations. And his mother couldn't get him to read for anything, but my father has a he's. I mean, he's an engineer now, so he's you know very mechanically inclined. So his mother started getting him uh, like hot rod magazine subscriptions or car you know car subscriptions, and this was back in the 
60s, I guess. And my dad would read him cover to cover because he was in love with cars and in love with the, the content. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's such a great idea. And, you know, I, I, I think that you don't encourage learning by telling people they're stupid or punishing them for making mistakes. I think you encourage learning by being positive and supportive and, you know, helping students find the ways that work with them to to learn to read and write. You know, they're, you know, some kids are going to enjoy poetry more than others. Some kids are going to want to write their personal stories. You know, some, some kids are going to want to write fiction. It just, and finding what they enjoy um, and, you know, enjoy spending time doing and encouraging that, I think, you know, is the, is the best way, you know, for parents to, to get their kids reading and writing. You know, in schools, they have things they have to do and lesson plans they have to follow. But when you're a parent trying to, to like, you know, support that and develop things that you think are important, you know, during the summer, keep your kids doing interesting things, you know, let them choose what they want to read or work on or write, you know, when, when I think that studies have shown when, when students are able to choose their own books, they're much more likely to actually finish them and say they enjoyed reading them. Yeah. And, and bringing this back into the, into the discussion of, you know, helping business authors actually write their, their books. One of the, the underlying ideas in, in here is focusing on the, the content and delivering a book that people actually want to to read, and and even if you're not a, a great writer, or even if you know the, it's a it's a magazine instead of a full length book, just the fact that people are actually reading it and, and absorbing it is the is the win. So, like you say, you know, if if you have a um, a professional criticism of the Da Vinci Code. But yet you loved the the book and, and couldn't put it down. And I mean, I I read The Da Vinci Code. I read Angels and Demons. Read Inferno. I love uh, Robert Langdon. I love uh, I love him bringing all this you know history together. And, and I think he does a great job of of storytelling. So that's the. And you know what? Actually, and and forgive me for for um, putting so much of myself in here. There is a book I'm I'm reading. Um, uh, Shantaram, I think that's how you pronounce it. S H A N T A R A M. Shantaram by uh, Gregory Roberts. It is beautifully written. He is an absolute master of of language. I mean, I I I don't say this often because I. In, in my heart of hearts, I'm an evil person, and I'm, I'm quite critical and judgmental, although I try to hide it quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. But I sit down with that book, uh, and, and I am in awe of his ability of, of language. I love it. But do you know that I haven't finished the book yet because it is so slow? <laughs> I just I right. haven't finished the <laughs> I <just> haven't. <laughs> There's a difference between fantastic writing and storytelling that pulls you through a book. I mean, I, you know, I think that, you know, when you have that let, let's say you have that first draft, you know, then you can go back and look look at it and say, is there anywhere I could use alliteration? You know, grammar girl with the two G's, that's alliteration, those similar sounds. Yeah. Is there anywhere I can add some alliteration? Is there anywhere maybe I could add a metaphor? 
you know, life is a highway. Uh, you know, you know, you can go back and try to make your writing more beautiful. You know, if you if you are inclined to do that. But the most important thing is getting that first draft down because if you don't get it out there, you're never going to write your book. <laughs> so, you know, you have to start and letting go of the idea that it has to be perfect when you start can can really, you know, get you going and, and get you on the path to getting your book out there, which is what you really want. So don't let, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And, you know, you can always go back and, and make it more beautiful, make it more perfect, but make it more accurate. But um, the more perfect is probably not a good phrasing because perfect is an absolute. <laughs> like, you know, I'm catching myself in a little language error there. But, um, you know, nobody's perfect, actually. You know, that I'm not perfect either. So I have an editor who goes over my stuff, and sometimes she misses things too. You know, you can have two or three people look at something, and they will still miss a typo or something. So, you know, nothing – I doubt there is a single published book out there that is absolutely perfect. First of all, they all have at least one typo. And, you know, your first draft is just a first draft. It's a step along the way to getting your book out there. Celine Dion has a singing coach. Tiger Woods has or had a golfing coach. And Grammar Girl has an editor. Of course. My life is complete. My life, there's, there's hope. There's hope for all of us, then. Absolutely. Well, um, in any parting, any parting words or pearls of wisdom that you'd like to, to leave with, um, with our with our listeners before I let you get back to saving the world from um, a hatred of, of language and and uh, and um, oh what are they? My mind is completely going blank. What do we call it? Whenever uh, whenever we're texting and and we don't uh, and we we use shorthand, you know, brb and and uh, you know okay. you instead of yeah. you. Text messaging abbreviations. Yeah, that's just what I call them. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, my, I guess my final word of advice, words of advice would be, you know, number one, just start, like make yourself start. And a good way to do that actually can be to have some kind of deadline or some sort, some sort of support group there to, you know, be expecting work from you maybe. So, you know, if you're, if you're really serious, number one, just start. And number two, try to find a writing group. Um, and if you can't find a writing group, there's also online, there's National Novel Writing Month, um, and it's primarily for fiction authors, but you don't have to be a fiction author. You can be a nonfiction author to follow along, and um, I'm on the writer's board for National Novel Writing Month, and, you know, right now they're actually doing Camp NaNoWriMo. <laughs> so they they are. do that um, a couple <laughs> times a year. <laughs> so you can find um, online groups and writing groups and support groups too, or like follow along on National Novel Writing Month on Twitter or their website. So that's another great way to get some support for your writing. And then, you know, I'll give a little self plug if you're, you know, if you want to just sort of learn all those writing tips by, um, you know, fun and osmosis, maybe you could listen to the Grammar Girl podcast because I, you know, every week, you know, have two or three writing tips and I try to make them fun. So you know, if you listen for a year, you're getting a hundred tips. So you're doing a good job. They're 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 fun. Like I said, you you know, people 
think that because of uh, usually because of their experiences in, in school or, or college that you know grammar and punctuation that it has to be um, you know dry and that it's the set of rules but you do a wonderful job of showing people how funny that it can be of how interesting it can be and of how practical it can be helping um, you know, helping them answer some of the most common things and in fact one of the things that I really like about um, about the podcast is that you answer questions that I, I feel like I have all the time. You know, I go to write uh, an email or a text message, and I, I have this question: oh, Wait, is it this or that? Okay, well, let me just write around it. So I always have this this recurring question, but I never think to go look it up because it's not you know it's not like I'm professionally writing or for a website or, or something like that. It's not something that I need to to get right. And you answer all of those those questions that I, I always have, but I never take the time to go look up and, and find the right answer to. Right. And with a podcast, you can just hear that while you're, you know, working out at the gym or commuting. So it's, it's a handy way to sort of just absorb that information without having to, you know, go find a book and look it up. I mean, I have books, but, you know, the podcast is a nice way to just, you know, passively learn, sort of. You know, in... in um a lot of other countries, um, well, uh, especially in, in, in Europe, a lot of countries have, uh, you know, the National Academy of, of Language or the um, um, National Academy of, of uh, see, I'm trying to think, in, in Spain, there's the Royal Academy. Um, mm-hmm. Brazil has its has its own, you know, and these are the, these are the official governmental either uh, uh, Sponsored or or, sh- or sanctioned um, institutions that determine you know, these are the rules of, of language in Brazilian Portuguese. This uh, body of, of academics, um, I think they meet in must be the capital Brasilia, but I see um, in in Spain it's in Madrid. Paris has their own, and uh, excuse me, France has their own in, in Paris. We don't have that in the U.S. But I am going to start a petition that we created, and I am nominating you as as uh, chair chairman of the board of directors. No, no, I don't think we should have one. <laughs> I actually don't think that we should have one. <laughs> I object. <laughs> um, the you know language. I do think language belo- should belong to the people, not to some. Um, you know, government body that oversees what's right and wrong. I think that, you know, the way, the way I described it in my TED talk. Libertarian after my own heart. (laughs) We vote the people, we vote with our usage. So, you know, when we, uh, what's a good example. So, you know, a long time ago, people thought that we shouldn't use the word drapes to refer to curtains. They thought that was horrible, that drapes was just a terrible word. But you know what? We all like the word drapes. We use the word drapes, and now nobody objects to the word drapes. But if we had an, a body like the French Academy, you know, they might rule from on high that we shouldn't use drapes. And, and I, just, I just really prefer to let, to let the people vote. And I have to, I'll end with a funny story because I was, um, I was in France a couple of weeks ago for the first time you know, on, on vacation, and, you know, I really wasn't thinking about work at all, and then suddenly it occurred to me, I'm in France, the land of the French Academy, and I said this out loud, and my husband looked at me, he's like, you are so weird. 
Yes, and I was so excited to be in the land of the French Academy. <laughs> so, <laughs> give you a sense of how I see the world. <laughs> well, you know, blessed are the weird. <laughs> um, well, Leon, thank you so much um, for all of this today. This has been fun, but you know what? I think that it's probably one of the most inspirational episodes that uh, that we've probably had on, on this podcast. Just the idea that someone as steeped in uh, grammar and, and language as, as you are, um, to have been so transparent and honest and, and encouraging has been, uh, well, it's been a treat. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for letting me talk about the things I love. Awesome. So y'all go uh, go subscribe to to the podcast. Um, it is absolutely worth it. And then um, I just happened to have picked up uh, the Ultimate Writing Guide for students, but I realized that I don't have um, the Ultimate Writing Guide for uh, or the Ultimate Guide to to better writing. So I'm going to go. Let's see. Sorry, quick and dirty tips for better writing. So uh, I just did the uh, the one click ordering from uh, from Amazon to have that uh, shipped here, so I can enjoy more of uh, of her brilliance and, and pearls of, of wisdom. Um, all right, well, thank you again, and uh, much much appreciated. You have a great day. Thank you, and good luck to all your listeners. Get those books written. Beautiful advice. Beautiful way to end. Thanks.